As an unlicensed doctor, we suggest a prescription for one of our shows. Sign up for our free podcast at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. Fake Doctor's Orders. Sportsnet 590 The Fan On Demand. is our technical director. Happy Leap Day, everybody. February the 29th, 2020. It is something that only happens every four years, guys. Leap Day. And uh, I was looking it up to uh, see what kind of special things happen on Leap Day. We found out that Ja Rule celebrates his birthday. Right. He was born on February the 29th. So I guess every year he has to go to the 28th before he flips back over to the 29th on that uh, fourth year. But if there was anybody on planet Earth that I would uh, think would be born on a day like this, I mean, Jaw Rules, that kind of fits the description. You know, I I know a great island where you can throw the party if uh, <laughs> if he wants to uh, go that route. Yeah, I feel like that might be a bit of a disaster if uh, they try to do that once again. But yeah, Leap Day, it's uh, one of those odd things about the uh, calendar year every uh, four years. But uh, hopefully nothing uh, too weird happens on this program over the next couple of hours. We will talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs, of course, who are back at it tonight, home to the Vancouver Canucks. It is a game that you can uh, watch on Hockey Night in Canada. We'll chat about the Raptors, who were losers last night in a tough one against the Charlotte Hornets. Blue Jays baseball back on the airwaves today as uh, spring training action continues Blue Jays in action at uh, 1 o'clock. We'll have the game here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And uh, we'll chat a little bit about Sidney Crosby, who, of course, uh, 10 years ago yesterday scored the golden goal in Vancouver at the Olympics to help Canada pick up that gold medal, of course. And we'll talk about maybe what the teams would look like today if Canada and USA were set to square off once again. But the Maple Leafs gentlemen uh, have started to right the ship just a little bit after that uh, ugly loss a week ago to a Zamboni driver. And I, I feel bad that people keep saying, like, Zamboni driver. He's got a name. Like, it seems kind of derogatory. Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, that's his, it. yeah, he's a garbage man. It's like, no, <laughs> he's a Zamboni driver. It's a fine job. He works for the team, uh, you know, uh, drives the Zamboni for the Toronto Marlies, helps out in practices. But David Ayers beat the Toronto Maple Leafs last week uh, as a member of the Carolina Hurricanes. He had the stick going to the Hockey Hall of Fame yesterday. I don't think many Maple Leafs go to the Hockey Hall of Fame to begin with, so it's no. not like they're going to be going to the museum and being like, ugh. There's that stick that we couldn't beat last uh, the last week. Uh, but the Maple Leafs have rebounded, like I said, with wins over the Lightning and a massive, massive win over the Panthers on uh, Thursday night. And, you know, I was saying this, uh, you know, after that game against the uh, Florida Panthers and actually after the game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But, you know, everybody thought, OK, it's rock bottom for the Maple Leafs against the Carolina Hurricanes. They lose to David Ayers in a game that they should have won. How are they going to bounce back? Like, how can you come back from this? And even, you know, Sheldon Keefe mentioned that, that it's going to be tough to come back. Well, yeah, they came back and they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it just gives us another example of how. You know, we all have ideas of maybe what's going on, but we really don't know what's going to happen. I think everybody would have predicted the Maple Leafs were going to go into Tampa and get smashed, and they didn't. They had one of their better games of the season. They showed a lot of resiliency. They showed a lot of, you know, heart, grits, all the, you know, adjectives that people want to throw out there um, when it comes to this uh, Maple Leafs team and what they may be lacking. But 
look, this is a good team when they're playing at their best. And, and we've seen it over the last couple of games, guys, that, uh, you know, despite some injuries, that there's still enough talent here to win on a night-to-night basis. But, you know, we'll see tonight because uh, the Maple Leafs very well could lose another one. They are Jekyll and Hyde for a reason. Yeah, it definitely feels like over the last couple of weeks, even going back before the Carolina game, the Leafs had been, like you said, Jekyll and Hyde. They had a really good effort. They put in a lot of uh, high-intensity work, and then they lit up a little bit of a letdown. They let, let, let down with a, with a loss against what seems like an inferior opponent or a team that they should at least be more than capable of beating on paper. And it was really nice to see that the compete level from the team, the uh, give-a-crap level, let's say, uh, was very high over the in the wins over the Penguins or over the Lightning and over the Panthers. And uh, one player from the win over the Panthers that really stood out to me was Zach Hyman. And I think Zach Hyman has been someone who I think has stood out to me a lo- more, more often than not, I should say. I was going to say a lot, but more often than not is probably more accurate over the course of the season to date. And I, I dare say, I don't know if it, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but I feel like Zach Hyman to me was maybe the best player on the ice against the Florida Panthers. He's certainly up there. I mean, he, we talk about it all the time, just how... He's not maybe the most talented guy on the team, but in a season where we've complained where, you know, the talent is there, but the effort doesn't seem to be there a lot of the nights. It's nice to see somebody like Zach Hyman, you know, be the plugger on that line and, and you know, fish out the loose pucks and bang home, you know, bang home a couple of goals here and there. Uh, he's just, he's basically, he's just not like any other player on the team. And that's why he sticks out to me. But I think you're absolutely right, Show. He had, uh, he had a great game, uh, the other night against Florida and it's just one of these things now where we talked about it last week, how they responded after that terrible first game against the Penguins to come out in the second game against them and have one of their best games of the season. And, you know, by all accounts, they should have beat Carolina last week and got some momentum, but we all know what happened with David Ayers there. So, you know, I'm, I'm more interested nowadays in seeing how this team performs after a win more than after a loss because it seems like when they lose badly they get up off the mat and they kind of they come back with a good effort but man like when they fell behind against florida uh early on right after playing another strong game against the lightning you thought it was i thought it was just another one of those you know just laying down again like you had a great effort on on tuesday and now a team that you need to beat in the panthers you're you're down three one it just it was just really disappointing to see, but full credit to them. They battled back and actually found some of that, you know, mental fortitude, I guess, to kind of get back in it and and battle back. So uh, maybe they are learning, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. They aren't just, you know, getting discouraged by these 3-1 leads. They're saying, like, let's let's get back into it because there's still a lot of hockey left. Yeah, and they are in a tough spot still because of the injuries they're dealing with on the back end right now with no Jake Muzzin, no Morgan Riley, and even Cody Ceci to a certain extent. You know, Timothy Lilligren, I think we've seen really struggle so far in his uh, debut in the National Hockey League. And just to have a guy like Cody Ceci back there that at least has played in the league and played a lot of games, he may not be, you know, the, the greatest defenseman ever, but uh, he, I think at this point you would trust him over a guy like uh, Timothy Lilligren. I think what's going to be interesting tonight, uh, you know, just to quickly shift focus to tonight's game is, you know, does Sheldon Keefe go back to the 11 forward, seven defenseman right. uh, roster that he uh, threw out there the other night against the Florida Panthers? I think it makes sense because... 
you know, as we saw with Tilly, Timothy Lilligren's struggles, you know, in that game, if, uh, you know, they don't have seven defensemen, he's going to be forced to either go to five defensemen or keep putting Lilligren out there in a game where he was really struggling. So uh, maybe we do see that again tonight where Sheldon Keefe goes with 11 forwards and, and seven defensemen and just rides his horses, especially up front with the big guys in, in Matthews, Nylander, Marner, and uh, Tavares. But, you know, I, I still think we're at a point, like I mentioned before, where we're, you know, Jekyll and hiding with this team and we're still not sure what we're going to get. And I think this team needs to win a few more games or at least look a lot better over the next few games here to to really give people a sense of okay maybe they are actually you know going to be able to turn this thing around because two wins is one thing but it isn't until they get that third win or that fourth win I think tonight will be a big one if they can beat the Vancouver Canucks tonight um, that'll say a lot to people that they've you know won three in a row since the loss to the Carolina Hurricanes and, and David Ayers but do you, do you get the sense show that people still don't want to trust this team, I know they're banged up right now, and I think that plays a large part of it. We'll get to Frederick Anderson in a moment, but uh, I guess maybe it's the Maple Leafs fans and a lot of people as well here in this city that you just can't fully trust this team uh, because they've broken people's hearts so many times. It, it definitely feels like that. Maybe because maybe because the team went through a similar winning streak. Remember when they hired Sheldon Keefe and they won like he won like a historic amount of games for a coach in his first 20 games w- yep. with the Maple Leafs franchise, right? And and then right after that was was this kind of swoon we saw and then they they, they dropped all these games in a row and it was combined with a bunch of injuries. So I, I think I think because of that even just with the, with that very very recent history, people are a little reticent to trust these recent results, but at the same time, beating the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers on their home ice is is not easy. It's definitely a pl- two places that have been relatively difficult for the Leafs to play over the course of the last, at the very least, in this current era of the team. But I, I think you're right. I think if they can beat the number two team in the Pacific, the Vancouver Canucks, and even the Canucks are only a couple of points out of first in, the, in a very wide open Pacific division. So if they can beat the Vancouver Canucks, and they're dealing with some injuries of their own, certainly, but I think it'll it'll go a long way, not just for making Leafs fans feel better that this team could compete in the long run, but also maybe just even in the short term that the, I guess it also depends on how they win, I suppose, but you know, it'll make them feel better Leafs fans about how the decor has been. Cause much has been made about essentially the, the 2018 or whatever Marley's blue line, essentially being the blue line for the Maple Leafs plus Tyson Berry right now. And I think that's, that's fair. It's a fair concern to have. Right. But I think so far they've acquitted themselves. Well, all things considered, I know they've let up three goals in back-to-back games and you said, we're going to talk about Freddie Anderson and he's, he's a part of it as well. But yeah, I think if, if they win a a tight game tonight and and it comes down to, you know, the last couple of minutes and they manage to shut down the Canucks, a very talented offensive team with some real, real stars. I think that'll, that'll go a long way towards making people feel like they can trust the Leafs again. Yeah, I think uh, that's the, really the biggest thing with this team right now. It's just trying to win back the, the trust of the fan base to, you know, buy back in. And, you know, Austin Matthews pointed this out the other day that he what he's noticed in this city, and I think we all do as well, the lows are really low and the highs are really high. And uh, on a game-to-game basis, it just swings um, so much back to for, uh, back and forth. I mean, how many of us heard after Saturday's game from people that we know, heck, even some people that work here, we're not going to name names, but like, I'm never going to watch this team again. Like, I hate this team with all of my being. Uh, one of them maybe on the other side of the glass <laughs> I wasn't gonna uh, say but I'm not gonna say his uh, <laughs> name but uh, I think that's what we're looking at right now with this Maple Leafs team that's just the swings are, are you know back and forth so huge um, at this point of 
this season. And uh, Frederick Anderson uh, is a guy who, you know, right now with the fan base is not feeling uh, particularly good, the confidence level in the, in the Maple Leafs net minder. And I guess, you know, we talked about resiliency in these last couple of games. You, you like the fact that, you know, Frederick Anderson, after giving up those three goals on what, six shots to begin that game, you know, really settled in and, and he was able to make some big saves, made a big one on Mike Hoffman there late in the third period to, to keep the Maple Leafs in front but I think it's pretty evident this guy is battling it right now he's you know had that great performance against the Pittsburgh Penguins and uh, helped you know pick up that shutout victory but there were still some moments there where maybe he looked a little bit shaky um, Saturday last Saturday of course against the Carolina Hurricanes and you know there were some moments against uh, Tampa Bay but you know Jack Campbell he's been a great story but I think it's pretty evident that Sheldon Keefe this front office they want to go with Frederick Anderson and they're going to give him an opportunity he very easily could have pulled him after that third goal in the first period of that the other night mark against the Panthers but he decided you know what we're going to keep him in there and we're going to ride it like I've pulled him a bunch of times already uh, if there was ever a time I know we're trying to scramble for points but you know, maybe you still want to keep the confidence intact, keep the feelings positive. I'm keeping Freddie Anderson in here, and maybe if he gives up the next one, then I yank him, but I'm going to keep riding with him until he really, really gives me a reason to be like, no, we're, we're not doing this tonight. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I was a little surprised that he didn't uh, he didn't pull Anderson uh, after he let in that bad goal against Florida, but, you know, this is just one of the things where I hate to simplify it, but this is why he's the coach. He's the guy that's around the team the entire time, and you know, I feel especially with goalies, it's kind of like a very mental position where you want your goaltender feeling good and, you know, confident about his game. And I just feel like you can't really yo-yo like that and just go one. I know you're bringing in Jack Campbell to solidify the position and, you know, you weren't getting the saves from Michael Hutchison, but I just feel like you can't just go with him right away as soon as Anderson falls off because... We know when the playoffs start, if they make the playoffs, that Freddie Anderson's going to be your guy, at least to start. So you basically have to, you know, dance with the girl that got you got you there. And I feel like it's, I feel like Freddie Anderson is their guy. I feel like he's got the confidence of his teammates. And it's really easy to say, guys, when things aren't going well and there has been this inconsistency throughout the season that Freddie Anderson has had his issues because he has. But we... I'm also of the opinion that you can't just forget about his entire service time with the Leafs. Like there are certain games where he's just, you know, stolen games. So I feel like he's kind of like a microcosm of the entire season. Like even that Florida game was just like he got off to a bad start, let it let in those goals, let in that really bad goal. But then, like you mentioned, Rob stayed in the game, settled in and made that made that uh, save off of Hoffman. So it's just one of those things where it's like maybe I don't know why he's doing it or what possessed Keith to not make the change, but he's the guy that's around the players. He knows he knows his team, and you just have to assume that he just thought that was the right call, and it turned out to be the right call. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think Freddie Anderson definitely is, I, w- I would say, outside of a handful of the position players, you know, Freddie is is perhaps the single most important guy on the team, and he has been for a long time. I mean, you know, you could probably make that argument for most goalies, most number one goalies for any team in the NHL. But at the same time, yeah, even though he, he let in three goals against the Lightning and then another three against the Panthers, and that third goal in particular was particularly shaky. I definitely thought, as you guys have been talking about, I definitely thought he was going to get pulled after that. But 
when he made you mentioned the Hoffman's save on Hoffman that was on the wraparound right I think I think because there was a there was a particularly ridiculous save where he seemed to be uh, way out of the crease that was the, the that was yeah. the wraparound uh, that was the wraparound yeah we hit the post right yeah yeah and I thought that was like I I was sure I was for sure thinking uh, that Freddie Anderson was going to get scored on there there'd be a fourth goal let in and the the game would just unravel from there and he just slid right across it pinned the puck to the post and like you said Rob he was perfect from there on out it, it definitely feels like it definitely feels like for goalies it's it's tough to come back from a letting in three goals so quickly right away like mentally it seems like a difficult thing to really swallow because your team was already in such a hole goals are at a premium in the nhl you know everyone is so talented so it's hard to take advantage of these little mistakes especially in in high pressure situations like this with a team that you you really need the two points against and full credit to freddie anderson that guy he, he came out and after that third goal he was perfect he didn't let us didn't let in anything for the rest of the way and I think that's really impressive, and it's something that goes maybe under-discussed because you kind of think to yourself, oh, okay, yeah, he let in three goals. That's his, like, quota for the game. He should be fine from here on out. But it's not easy to go to the rest of the game and, and essentially shut out the Florida Panthers, a really talented team, even without Vincent Trocek. Yeah, and it was great to see as well in that second period where the Maple Leafs limited Florida to, what, like four shots yeah. in that yeah. uh, that 20-minute span. So that's, you know, part of this identity, right, for this Maple Leafs team that – you know, we're, we understand that maybe we're not the best in our own end, so what we're going to do is make sure that we limit the shots and spend a lot of time in the O-zone, and the Maple Leafs definitely did. I was shocked that they didn't score a goal. Sergei Bobrovsky made some incredible saves there in, in the second stanza for the Florida Panthers to, to keep it at a tied game. So, um, you know, we see it in flashes, that identity that the Maple Leafs are constantly searching for, where we're the puck possession team, we're keeping it in the offensive zone, we're not playing as much in our in our defensive zone. And that's going to be paramount, especially now with the injuries that they're dealing with without uh, Muzzin, Riley, and, and Cody Ceci to a certain extent that, you know, they're going to need uh, to, to play uh, on the opposite end of the ice to make sure that they don't get uh, stuck in their own end and uh, give up a bunch of chances, which, uh, you know, they did definitely at points there in the third period, but uh, stood strong and, and were able to come away with that win over the Florida Panthers. So I think what... It's really interesting about this current stretch without, you know, those guys on the back end right now is we're getting some answers on some of these players. And, you know, Travis Dermott's had a really up and down season, but I thought he did a lot of good things there the other night against the Florida Panthers. I thought Justin Hall was pretty solid. I thought Tyson Berry's pretty decent. You know, Rasmus Sandin, I think we all understand that this guy's future is bright, but there's still going to be some moments where maybe he doesn't look particularly good. And there's going to be some moments where he does look really good, but this can only help, right? I know we were talking about wanting to make the playoffs and uh, that's, that's a major thing for this team. And if they don't, it's a disappointment. It definitely is with, you know, where they're at in uh, with their organization right now, with the money that they've spent and the players that they have locked up. But it is still pretty valuable, I think, to be getting guys like Travis Dermott and Justin Hall and, you know, Rasmus Sandin and even Timothy Lilligren, some of these guys to a certain extent, getting them, you know, big time experience because it feels like playoff hockey right now. And maybe that could benefit them if the Maple Leafs ultimately do get into the postseason. I think that's a great point. Like you, you hear it all the time where, you know, should we be sellers at the deadline for certain teams? Should we try to just sneak into the playoffs and, and what have you? And that's always kind of the argument is like, well, if we can sneak into the playoffs, maybe we're not a contender, but at least our young players will get that experience with playoff hockey's like. And I'm with you, Rob. Like after the game, Dermot even said, like, you know, this is our effort tonight was partly because of just Hall, Hall and I playing with, with each other on the Marlies and just kind of growing with each other over the past couple of seasons, whether it was in the AHL or with their time on the Leafs. So I think 
that's what kind of also frustrates uh, fans and the team's management alike is that you know you're seeing you're seeing efforts like the one they had in the third period against Florida with a complete like walking wounded on defense and they come out with one of their better efforts to to seal the victory and it's like man like why couldn't this happen last Saturday against Carolina with the uh, with David Ayers in that which hey I'm I'm all for the story it was great to see if you're a hockey fan but yeah like it left a really bitter taste in a lot of Leaf fans mouths and you know, it's it's a game that you still should have won, in my opinion. So we'll see if the Jekyll and Hyde uh, continues tonight. But I'm with you when you said it, it would show something if they could take three in a row, especially against a good Canucks team. I feel, too, one thing I, I had seen after that game last Saturday, because it's, it's crazy to say that the, the Carolina game was a week today, right? So I feel like one thing I, I had seen out of on social media and even here at Sportsnet, not necessarily just at the fan, but just all around the the company it definitely felt like Leafs fans, more than before, more than just a resignation. It was like a, a maybe not even anger. It was like disgust almost after the after the Carolina Hurricanes. Like a lot, a lot of sentiment. Like I couldn't turn the game off. It was like watching a car wreck. Like I just had to see how it ended because they just were playing without any passion, without any drive. And then you see the results they we got from the Leafs on uh, you know against the Lightning against the Panthers. And I, I feel like if, like you said, Mark, if they can get a third game in a row against what I think is a really good Vancouver Canucks team, even with all of their injuries as well, I think that would go a long way towards, like we were talking about off the top, making Leafs fans feel a little better and maybe massaging massaging that disgust away because that's like one of the, we, we, talk, we talked about this over the course of the week, but that's one of the low points. And I think, you know, not just of the season, but of the last several years, and I think, you know, going, getting, getting away from that would be beating good teams both on the road and at home and doing it in a way that makes you feel confident, not just about finishing the year strong just to make the playoffs, but about maybe this is the year they get out of the first round. And I know that their, their recent play maybe hasn't necessarily inspired that all, all the time. And I, I know I'm a little iffy on that myself, getting out of the first round. But I think how they finish the year will go a long way in terms of making people feel better about that. I know that's I know making people feel better is not exactly like the be-all, end-all. But, you know, that's, that's kind of part, of part of what we talk about. And I think Leafs fans deserve to have something good happen for them. But, yeah. yeah, I think that would be nice if the uh, Maple Leafs finally were able to you know, turn things around and uh, give something people uh, could cheer about because uh, there have been some, you know, good moments along the way, but uh, it's been a pretty rough season for the most part and uh, expectations have not been met for a lot of people and I imagine for the front office as well. Uh, as we continue on, the Sportsnet Hot Stove will chat about Austin Matthews and the season that he is having. Has it uh, changed our opinion of, you know, how good this guy can actually be as uh, he's been an amazing goal scorer this year, but he's added a lot to his game. We saw that the other night against the Florida Panthers. We'll chat about it next on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Show Ali, Mark Boffo on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Subscribe to the Writer's Block Podcast with your favorite podcatcher. Sportsnet 590, the fan on demand. Sportsnet 590, 590, the fan. Where would I be without you? Baby, without you. Where would I be without my baby? Inseparable, 
show strain over pleasure. For that, you forever be a it, Hot me. Stove, Rob my Long, Mark Boffo, Show, Ali. Happy birthday, Ja Rule. How old would you guess uh, Ja Rule is, guys? So I, I actually I looked oh, it up. I, look I, Googled, it up. I, Googled, I Googled it. I didn't look it up. He was right, born... What's your, uh, what's your guess? I want to say he is... 44. Wow, he is 44. Wow. I can prove to you. Mark Boff, his computer is right in front of me. He did not have it up there. That's an incredible (laughs) guess. It is. Wow. How did you come to that conclusion? Um, I need to know. Honestly, I just... It was a total guess. I was just like, he's, I was going to say 39, but I'm like, he's definitely over 40. And I don't know, just carry the two. That's incredible. Well, as Vic Palati, technical, technical director, points out, so that makes Ja Rule, what, 11 years old? Yeah, right. He was born on the leap day. So he's actually 11 years <laughs> Happy old. 11th birthday. Happy 11th birthday, Ja Rule. <laughs> we'll get you some Lego, maybe uh, some G.I. Joes or something. But yeah, 44 years old, Ja Rule, born on this day, February 29th, 19. 19- 76 on the uh, leap day. So uh, shout out to Jaw Rule. I'm sure we'll be playing more Jaw Rule coming up later in the uh, Sportsnet Hot Stove. But the Maple Leafs back at it tonight, taking on the uh, Vancouver Canucks. It is uh, a game that uh, you can watch, of course, on Hockey Night in Canada, beginning at uh, 7 o'clock. And, you know, we're going to be interested to see a lot of these matchups tonight between the Maple Leafs and Canucks when it comes to the forward core, because you've got Elias Pettersson on the other side, along with a guy like JT Miller who's having a great season, Tyler Toffoli, the new addition there, Quinn Hughes on the back end. There's a lot of star talent on this Vancouver Canucks team, young star talent, and clearly that's the case on the uh, Maple Leafs side of things as well. And front and center right now has to be Austin Matthews, who is having a uh, career season. This is the uh, best I think we've ever seen Austin Matthews look in his uh, four plus seasons now in the uh, National Hockey League. He's about to you know, shatter some records when it comes to, to goal scoring potentially here with this uh, Maple Leafs franchise, but 44 goals, 65 games. He's got 76 points, so just on pace for a, a monster, monster season. And I'm just really impressed with what he's added to his game this year, guys. You know, defensively, I think he's looked a lot better, especially since the coaching change to Sheldon Keefe. And that game the other night against the Florida Panthers, and we've seen it at a lot of parts throughout the season as well, where you know Austin Matthews is getting a little bit more physical and uh, using his big frame. I mean, the guy's 6'3", 220, he's listed as that. I'm sure he's a little bit bigger now, adding some muscle throughout the years. But this is a guy that, you know, when you watch him play that game against the Panthers, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, of Kenny Malkin, of Geno Malkin in Pittsburgh, where he's maybe doesn't have the, you know, mean streak and ferocity and like viciousness that Malkin can play with sometimes. Like Malkin got in a fight last week against the Brendan Dillon of the Washington Capitals. Like we're never <laughs> going to see that from Austin Matthews. He's not going to drop the gloves with a guy like Brendan Dillon. Um, but the way, you know, Genny Malkin plays is a way I'd like to see Austin Matthews play and maybe not, you know, completely throw his body around with uh, no regard for uh, human life because uh, that can end up in injuries. And we know Malkin's a guy that's been injured and, and so is Austin Matthews. But, you know, it, it's hard not to envision a scenario maybe in the next couple of years where he just gets more physically mature. He understands, you know, uh, what he can do at this level. Like he already knows he can score a ton of goals, but maybe it's the other parts of his game that he starts to round out. And it's hard not to see him becoming that type of player um, where just, you know, every shift out there is just a dominant force physically, athletically. It all just comes together. And, and I think right now we're, we're seeing it click show. Yeah, I think I, I would like to see him just do it more often. That's really yeah. That's really it. I think you see him doing it a little bit more this season and we're getting the results he we're getting you know like he's you said he's on pace for 60 points and uh, or 60 goals pardon me and and maybe almost 100 points and he he i like what he's been doing too because it's, it seems like he's been doing a lot of it at even strength he hasn't been doing it a lot or he's been doing it more on even strength than he has on the power play i should maybe to rephrase but it just feels like 
if he does that more, because like you said, he's a big boy. He he's a he has a lot of weight to him as well. He can throw that around, a lot of muscle. And I feel like if were he to play a little more physical on a night to night basis, it would make things a little easier on some of his line mates and some of his teammates as well. Especially now that the defensive, you know, the defensive pairings, the blue line is as decimated as it is. Maybe that would also make it make life a little easier on the Rasmus Sandines and the Tyson Berries of the world. I mean, I've liked that pairing, but at the same time, they can they can look a little discombobulated at times. And I think seeing Austin Matthews and the rest of the forward group, but definitely it starts with Matthews, play a little more physical and and you know be a little more sharp on the defensive end. I think that's something I would like to see. But that's that's like it, it feels like that's nitpicking because he's been so good this year, right? Like that's definitely the the flip side to that argument is that. As, as much as I'd like to see him do things more, he's been so fantastic this season that it's it's hard to really argue against any one aspect of his game too, too much. I mean, he's probably going to get some heart trophy consideration more than likely, and I think he absolutely deserves to. I am I hate to be boring, but I'm right there in lockstep with you, show. Like, it, it is tough to nitpick on such a on such a dominant season so far. I've been impressed with his two-way game. You know, he gets he gets into the defensive zone. Um, you know, maybe there are some times, like you said, where you'd like to see him be a bit more physical instead of kind of using these little, you know, stick lifts and whatever to get the puck. But it seems to be working for him. And he seems to be getting, he seems to be kind of, you know, being there when you need him the most in that the goal he scored against Florida on Thursday tied the game at three and you know it was a nice little uh, slick pass from Marner to to defeat defeat him there, but he really dominated that shift and I threw a hit on I think it was Weger to to kind of start that playoff and they were kind of discombobulated in their zone the Panthers and that's what kind of led to the goal. But you know I'm I'm kind of of the opinion though too the where it's just like hey when he was on his entry level deal he was banged up with a couple of random different injuries and be careful what you wish for you want to see you know, big bodies play physical and kind of have that power forward mentality. But I think it's also not, I think it's also important not to kind of get away from what's made you successful too. And, you know, when you're right there in the Rocket Richard uh, trophy uh, consideration and you're keeping pace uh, all season long, it's, it's, it's tough to kind of nitpick, like you said, show, because it has been that good of a season for, uh, for Austin. Yeah, it definitely has been, and uh, it's just been a point where you're looking at him right now and, and saying, yeah, it's finally coming together, and you're wondering how much better can this possibly get. Like, the, the health factor has been, you know, the biggest thing for me that uh, he hasn't played uh, over 68 games since his rookie season where he played the full 82. He's been banged up the last couple of years, and, you know, barring anything, knock on wood, of course, he's going to play uh, upwards of 70-plus games again, and uh, that's going to be a good sign for Austin Matthews heading into uh, the postseason potentially for this uh, Maple Leafs team. But I think what we've seen, uh, especially of late, that this team is only going to go as far as its star talent is going to take them. They've been, you know, struggling to get some goals there in the the bottom six. I know Kasperi Captain scored the other day, and you know Jason Spezza didn't get credit for the goal, but made a nice play in front of the net on Andre Vasilevsky in that Tampa Bay Lightning game. But Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, John Tavares, William Nylander, these are the guys that are going to have to show up on a night-to-night basis in order for this Maple Leafs team to, to have success. And, and we saw a lot of that on that Florida road trip um, against the Panthers and the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. So uh, you like to see what's going on with those two guys. You mentioned Zach Hyman off the top of the show, uh, show and we didn't get to it uh, too much, but 
I'll be the first to admit, like, this is nothing I ever saw coming. I was always the guy that said, hey, Zach Hyman, what is he doing playing alongside Austin Matthews, Zach Hyman, Connor Brown, when this Maple Leafs team needs to, you know, free up some salary. They're the first two guys I'm going to ship out because I feel like they're very replaceable. But it's becoming more evident that Zach Hyman is a guy that's irreplaceable on this Maple Leafs team and I think needs to be included in that conversation about the core of this team now moving forward. And you know, it's unfortunate that he's the type of guy that right now is putting up points. It's great. Like, you like the positive results, but what that could mean in a couple of years' time if he's, you know, a perennial 20-plus goal scorer because he's, you know, in the trenches so much and so close to the goal, what could that mean potentially for his cap hit uh, for this uh, Maple Leafs team? But he's, it's gotten to a point now where you talk about the core four and you talk about, you know, Morgan Riley in the back end, and, and I guess you can, you know, add Erasmus Sandin potentially down the line. But, you know, Zach Hyman's in that conversation now, show where you look at him and you go, yeah, like this guy has to be part of this future moving forward. He's still in his mid-20s. He's not old by any means. And uh, he just ha- plays a role on this team that just no one else can do. Yeah, he he is undeniably one of the better players in the team right now. It's, it's crazy to say that because, like you said, a couple of years ago, you weren't necessarily expecting this right away. I mean, you think back to his rookie season, and whenever anyone put the puck on his stick, it felt like he was just going to chuck it into the netting or you know fumble it a little bit and not do really much with it. But and and now he is every time he gets the puck, he he he's he's looking to make a play with it, whether it's passing it again or making a dangerous shot on net, or you know just in general being very smart with it. And I think I think that's full credit to Zach Hyman for working on his game since let's say 2016, 2017 thereabouts. Right? It just he has done a lot to improve his own game, and that's something that I think goes overlooked pretty easily because you know maybe you you kind of just expect players to you know quote unquote get better over time but Zach Hyman has been really exciting to watch he he fights a lot he plays well without the puck he played well really well with the puck against the Panthers on Thursday and yeah I just I think he um he just I I feel like it's crazy to say that he could have been or he was the best player on a line with Matthews and Marner given how how well they all played if that makes sense to you guys, like he he was the he was the usually the the forgotten man on that line for much of the season or much of the previous seasons, and now I feel like at the very least on Thursday night he showed how why he could be so valuable going forward, and I felt like he was the star of the game. I mentioned this to you guys right off the top, and I think if if he's playing at this level going forward, then I feel like the Leafs' top six will be that much better because you already have, you know, the Nylanders and the Tavares and Matthew and Mar- Matthews and Marner and so on. So if, if Hyman could add this production going forward or at least something similar to it, then the Leafs will earn a good spot, at least from their top six. I don't know Hyman's one, good, eh? Yeah, I know no one wants to give the credit, but Mike Babcock was right. I'm, Hyman's Hyman is, good, eh? Hyman's good. Like, he is very, very good. <laughs> Babcock knew that it was going to go down as Zach Hyman being a, a really important part of this uh, team moving forward. But uh, as you mentioned, Joe, I mean, you have to give the guy credit for working on his game. Like he's shown off a little skill as well with the vision and some of the stick handling stuff. And uh, he's a guy right now. It's just uh, irreplaceable. And, you know, we talk about losing guys on the back end. My goodness, what would this team look like if they lost a guy like Zach Hyman, who just uh, plays such a, a central role in the four check defensively, just does the little things, right? As we always talk about. And uh, Zach Hyman fits that role so perfectly for this team moving forward. But, you know, the other guy that I think has has, you know, stepped up a little bit as well, Mark, is Kasperi Kapanen. And, uh, you know, people keep calling him Kasperi Scrappinen now because he uh, loves <laughs> chucking name. the knucks and uh, getting into a fight uh, the other night against uh, Mackenzie Weger of the 
Florida Panthers. And, you know, Sheldon Keefe said, look, it's, this has nothing to do with the discipline. Like, he's just noticed, like, it's time of the year. Like, we got to go here. And he's really stepped up his game. And he's been a, a massive part. He's been more evident on the ice, I would say, on a night-to-night basis now. He's always got that speed and skill. But he's doing a lot of the uh, little things, just like Zach Hyman. And, you know, maybe he's still a trade piece in the offseason. But right now, for a team that uh, is looking for some points, looking for some wins, I mean, he's he's a crucial part on that bottom six. Well, that's kind of the first thing that that I was wondering was maybe he's just a little bit more confident after the deadline. You know, there's not any of that scuttlebutt out there that maybe he's getting shipped out for uh, some help on the back end. You know, players deal with that differently. I'm not saying that's necessarily what happened, but like the proof's in the pudding. Like since the deadline's passed, he was showing up in those two games in Florida. And, you know, nobody's you know, confusing Kapanen for Kyle Clifford here, but everybody after the game was talking about how that kind of galvanized the team a little bit on the bench and got them fired up. And it was nice to see somebody take liberties with a tough customer on, on the Panthers. So again, like you're, you don't want to see it happen, but it's sometimes, you know, if you're in a funk and you need to get up off the mat, it's, it takes somebody that you're not expecting to kind of, to kind of do something to get the team going. So I think, uh, you know, as long as he's not getting hurt and he can hold his own in those fights, I don't mind him uh, dropping the gloves uh, here and there if it's, uh, if it'll be beneficial for the team. Well, that's definitely what I was thinking that whole time. I was like, man, you've been playing so well. The last thing you need to do is punch Mackenzie Weger like in the helmet, break your hand, and you're done for the season. Like the, this team just does not need that right now with these injuries. Leave it to a guy like Kyle Clifford or, or somebody else on this team to have to step up and, and do those kinds of things. But sometimes you just, it's the heat of the moment and you get into it, you drop the gloves and then you go and you're not really thinking about it. But Kasperi Kapanen really been impressed with his game of late. Maple Leafs back at it tonight. They'll take on the Vancouver Canucks. We'll have it on Hockey Night in Canada beginning at 7 o'clock. And then after it's over, we'll have Leafs Nation post game here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan with Nick Alberga and Gord Stellick. When we continue on the Sportsnet Hot Stove, we'll uh, chat about Tony Romo. He's heading back to CBS on a big multi-year deal, and we'll talk some Raptors, too, after an ugly loss to the Charlotte Hornets. That's next on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Show Ali, Mark Boffo here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Find half-price specials throughout the showroom during Leon's half-price sale. Like a dual reclining sofa for half-price. Now only $6.49. Limited time only. Visit leons.ca for details. Subscribe to the Good Show podcast with your favorite podcatcher. Sportsnet 590 The Fan On Demand. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Always Sportsnet Hot Stove, Rob Wong, Show Ali, Mark Boffo here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Here he comes. Come on and get a piece of 
Oh yeah, Jaw Rule, baby. <laughs> I, like I swear, I listened to so much Jaw Rule when I was in high school. But I thought you were driving around. Oh, I mean, look, a little. Still. If it pops up on the uh, phone, like I'll definitely listen to it. It's uh, something that occasionally lands on a playlist here or there. Sure, back okay. Thursday maybe. But uh, yeah, this just makes me think of driving around in my uh, dad's car uh, when I had my license and I was driving to high school. Windows down. You've got like the CD like ad- adapter because we had a tape player in the car because right. it didn't have a CD player. So I had to get like the tape adapter, plug in the CD player, and I'm just banging out these uh, Jaw Rule mixtapes that I made when I was in uh, high school. Just so. had just had that Jaw Rule plane in the Panasonic Shockwave oh, hook, my hooked God. up to the, uh, the tape so deck. Good. Panasonic Shockwave, <laughs> the best CD player of all time. My favorite. I spent a lot of money, saved up a lot of money to purchase that thing, and I uh, did not regret it for one second. Definitely uh, one of the best purchases. Uh, I still do have it. I don't okay. use it. Right. Uh, I don't. I haven't bought a CD. I think in like twelve years. Like, right. It's been a long time. How, do you think you've since I even a, thought about it? Do you think you've bought a record more recently than no? You I don't a have CD. a record. You're not, you're not a record no, guy. Not a you're not vinyl, vinyl guy. Okay. You know why? Because it's so expensive. <laughs> like that's what I don't like. I get the sound quality is great, and right. people love that, and you know having the feel of it and all that stuff. And but it's like, uh, why do I want to pay forty dollars for this they record really when I can yeah. just buy this uh, compact disc, or you know maybe find some other means to uh, listen to these you know music? The streaming services now, lots of different things you can do um, to listen to Jaw Rule if you want. I'm not <laughs> sure if Jaw Rule has any vinyl out oh, there. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if uh, we can find that. Maybe someone can let us know on the uh, text line. But we are getting some texts at 590-590. Did want to get to a couple of them. Uh, Curtis and Meaford says, Today is my first wedding anniversary. We got married on a Tuesday. So um, happy anniversary, Curtis. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to him. Thanks for listening I, so to the program happy today. Happy first anniversary? Happy uh, first anniversary. Or, <laughs> or I guess, yeah, he got, yeah, first, fourth. I'm not sure how it works. Because if he got married <laughs> on the leap year, on the leap day, uh, February the 29th, four years ago. Is that the first or, uh, you know, is it the fourth? We're kind of confused when it comes to that. Uh, getting another text here. Um, someone saying that the Raptors uh, are not good and that uh, the Leafs are it and will win the cup. So they mm. feel pretty confident about right. the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Not so much about the Toronto Raptors we'll get to in the 11 o'clock hour. But uh, keep sending us those texts, 590-590. Just give us your name and your location. So it's pretty rare, guys, that, you know, we talk about uh, analysts or, like, TV broadcasters that have signed multi-year contracts and multi-year deals. But the latest yesterday, uh, Tony Romo said to become the highest paid NFL analyst in TV history. There were a lot of uh, rumors out there that he might be uh, going to ESPN, maybe Monday Night Football, that the four-letter would throw uh, some big-time dough at him. But uh, CBS has decided to lock up Tony Romo, the former Cowboys quarterback, to a multi-year deal that uh, will make him the highest paid NFL analyst in TV history making $17 million a season, which is like more than a lot of players made in the NFL a season ago. He'd be the highest paid player in the NHL. Uh, Tony yeah, Romo would be true. at $17 million per season. <laughs> uh, that is for sure. But if there was any person, I think, in you know sports media right now, sports analysts that you would give that dough to, it's probably Tony Romo, who for my money is not $17 million worth of it, but for my money is the best, right? Like he just offers so much analysis, 
Um, he loves guessing the plays, or at least he can read the plays and figure out what's going on. And he does it in a way that makes you understand what's going on. And that's all I ever ask for when I'm watching anal- analysis on, on you know sporting events. Uh, I also like the fact that he's not just throwing out stupid things like uh, Booger McFarlane out there telling me that Kyle Juszczyk <laughs> is the most important player on oh, the man. San Francisco 49ers. Like, uh, no, no, he's not. He's actually not. Uh, but Tony Romo is the best in the biz, and, and it totally makes sense why CBS has decided to throw some big-time money at him. Yeah, it definitely seems like they really had no choice, right? I think there was some some news going out around there that if if he even if he had signed or had been offered a, a mega deal by, let's say, ESPN – uh, CBS could have still matched whatever offer they gave him, so it's, it made a no. It made it was a no-brainer to lock him up for however many years he ended up getting locked up for by CBS. I think I remember seeing yesterday, Rob, that uh, Steve Fallon, our own Steve Fallon, a great work at Sportsnet Stats, he tweeted out that uh, if Tony Romo was still playing, his seventeen million dollar cap hit would make him the thirteenth highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Which is, I mean, in in a sport where quarterback salaries regularly just absolutely engulf virtually every other player, that's wild. Like yeah. he's the, he'd be the thirty, he'd be he'd be making more money than Aaron Rodgers. He'd be making more money than Jameis Winston and Tom Brady. Like that's pretty wild to me. Yeah. What does this mean for the cap situation, Mark? For CBS, is, is Jim Nance <laughs> going to have to be bought out here with uh, Tony Romo making seventeen million a season? Well, he's making seventeen million and also not taking like any shots to the head or anything like that. Yes. So that's that's a big one too. But uh, yeah, like the hot rumor was that you know Monday Night Football might have been there for the taking if he wanted it. You know, sometimes you hear sometimes somebody has a take, guys, that. They say it perfectly, so I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to read it. Patrick Claibon of the NFL Network says, Maybe I'm alone here, but I feel like Romo's gifts would have been wasted with all the pomp and circumstance of the Monday Night Football broadcast. And I totally agree with that. Like, why, why, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Him and Nance have a really good rapport going. They're great friends off the, uh, off the air as well. And we talked about the Monday Night Football broadcast, how, you know, Booger and Joe haven't been exactly that great. I think to throw Romo in there and just kind of have him save it and, you know, try to be the guy there, I think would have been a tad unfair to him just based on that he's only done it for two seasons as well. Like, he, we forget that he's kind of still new in the game. So I'm happy that uh, I'm happy that he's staying at CBS, and I like that he's uh, still going to be paired with Jim Nance. Yeah, and maybe one day Monday Night Football is going to be where he lands. Like, he, he's just starting, like you said. There's lots of time for him to, you know, get to a point. Maybe he's, maybe he's looking for some new challenges, but it's not as if he's not doing big games, not doing, you know, some big spots right now with uh, CBS and the National Football League. But good to know. Tony Romo back uh, with CBS, and we're going to be seeing him alongside Jim Nance uh, for years to come here uh, over the next uh, few seasons at the very least. Uh, when we return on the uh, Sportsnet Hot Stove, we'll talk about the Toronto Raptors who lost an ugly one last night to the Charlotte Hornets. A tough call at the end, giving the Hornets the win in that one, but the Raptors didn't exactly do themselves any favors. We'll get into that coming up on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Show Ali, Mark Boffo on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Missed an episode of Lead Off? Listen to every episode and subscribe with your favorite podcatcher. Sportsnet 590, the fan on demand. Not going to 
lie. I was really disappointed that this song was not performed at the Super Bowl. I thought we were going to see one thing for sure. It was going to be Pitbull was going to come out and perform with uh, J-Lo. But I was like, at the very least, you got to give me some jaw. And it uh, was not to be at that all. Was your, like, that was your surprise uh, yeah. Super Bowl hat performer pick? I thought we were going to see J-Lo and Pitbull. I thought we were going to see J-Lo and Ja. And I thought we were going to see Shakira. And I thought Wyclef was going to show up. Okay. And do hips like they did hips don't lie. Right. But I thought he was going to be out there. I, was like, I, I picked Daddy Yankee. I thought Daddy, Daddy Yankee, Yankee was going to show up. There yeah. you go. Get some Desposito, but no, unfortunately. No, not to be the case. <laughs> but uh, it's going to be interesting next year's Super Bowl halftime show. Because they, what? They announced it months in advance. But, like, we're at the stage now where it's difficult to... You know, really put on an amazing show where we're all like really blown away. I think like J Lo, Shakira, definitely one of the better ones. Sure, Prince was great. Lady Gaga mm-hmm. was great. I thought Bruno Mars, but like you get some occasional duds. Like Maroon Five two years ago was not particularly good. Coldplay, what do you think about Coldplay? Fiftieth anniversary, the fiftieth uh, Super Bowl. That was okay. Like I don't mind Coldplay. Okay, I- I'm happy you brought this up <laughs> because I remember watching that. And it was like Coldplay is the halftime show. Mm-hmm. And then I remember w- actually watching it. And I want to say, weren't like Bruno Mars there and Beyonce? And Beyonce. Yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, like, uh, I guess you're third in line now, Coldplay. It was like, wh- <laughs> why are you even saying this is Coldplay's halftime show? It's like, if, if Beyonce is on the bill, it's like, it's Beyonce. It's like, Beyonce, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, yeah. Best halftime show ever, uh, Sting, 2016 NBA All-Star Game here uh, at Scotiabank Arena. No, I'm just lying. That was so <laughs> bad. It's like, who thought of this? Like, we have Drake. We have The Weeknd. We have so many different Canadian artists. How about Sting? Uh, sure. Yeah, it yeah. felt out of place. Yeah, it felt a little bit out of place. Well, Sting we, doing the NBA All-Star. We had the CanCon uh, for the anthem, a little Nelly Furtado there that year. Yeah, I yeah. would have dug Nelly Furtado playing some hits, doing her promiscuous song, shouting out Steve Nash. Like, that would have made sense. Hey, it's a basketball reference. But what does Desert Rain have to do with basketball, <laughs> NBA basketball? It's almost as bad as the one year uh, Big and Rich, the country act. Right. Save a horse, ride a cowboy, yeah, did yeah. the NBA All-Star game in Denver. Uh, a few years back, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So, yeah, the NBA All-Star Game, they've gotten a lot better, to say the least. I mean, this year's halftime show uh, at, during the game, Chance the Rapper was incredible. Uh, Lil Wayne coming out, but, uh, yeah, another day. Let's we'll, get Fergie uh, back. Fergie, there you go, doing some <laughs> national... Fergie should just do the national anthem at every, every single... Year, yeah. Every year, at the NBA Finals. All games through the entire playoffs. Fergie doing the uh, national anthem. Speaking about the NBA, Raptors losing last night to the uh, Charlotte Hornets in a weird... Weird game. The uh, Raptors have now lost a couple in a row after their defeat to the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, then last night against the Charlotte Hornets, a game that the Raptors were favored by like 14 and a half points heading into that one. But uh, shooting woes, defensive woes, definitely let them down. And that being said, they did find a way to have a chance at the end of the ball game where uh, Norm Powell missed a pretty open three and then Kyle Lowry missed a wide open three from the corner that would have given the Raptors the lead. But then with a couple of seconds left, the Hornets uh, get, uh, you know, they're gifted a foul call. It was a foul. Like, I think we can all agree that Ronnie Hollis Jefferson made contact with uh, Terry Rozier, but you know, it's to, it's hard when you see referees make those types of calls late in a ball game, but I understand they were just uh, going by the rules in that one, and then the Raptors aren't able to win that game. It's always difficult to take a ton out of these types of games, guys, where the Raptors are just losing some rando game in the middle of February because they are dealing with some injuries right now. Norm Powell did come back, but I, I look at that game, and they still held Charlotte, Charlotte to 99 points. They held them to 43% shooting. They themselves shot 34% from the field and 23% from three, and heck, 69% from the free throw line. So just the ball was not going in the hoop last night for the Raptors. Um 
like I said, you don't want to take too much out of a game like that, but it's kind of one of those where you go, eh, it happens. Like, it's the NBA. Occasionally, you're just going to have some off nights. We saw that game earlier this year against the Miami Heat where the Raptors, right, yeah. you know, couldn't throw anything into the bucket at all. And uh, that obviously has not had any long-lasting ramifications, Mark. So I, I see this game last night against the Hornets, and I go, yeah, just one of those games. Listen, you never want to... You never want to lose to a team that's 18 games below 500 coming into the game. But what are you supposed to do? I mean, Noah Baca, you're already down Marcus Gasol. Freddie Van Vliet isn't playing. And it's just one of those things where the injuries keep mounting up. And as good as these stories have been of guys not really having any drop-off, like Hollis Jefferson and Chris Boucher and guys like that, like, you're still asking a lot, you know, we're talking about the Leafs blue line and asking a lot of these young guys, well, you know, Chris Boucher is, is still getting acclimated to the league and he's, it's just, it's a lot to ask for, for guys when you're walking wounded, especially in the NBA when it's just so rotational based and, you know, it's, you know, you're playing like eight, nine deep most night, most nights. So you, you need that depth, but like, I don't know, it, it for me, it's yeah, it's disappointing, but I'm with you, Rob. It's like, you know, it, it, what else could you, what else could you ask for? Like they've they had that deep deep streak where they went where they won all those games in a row, and now like these guys are only human. You know what I mean? So I think they don't want to rush Marcus all back, which I can't blame them because they're securely in a playoff spot, and the guys played a lot of basketball over the past year internationally and in the NBA. And yeah, like it's, it's disappointing, but I'm not ready to say this is the version of the Raptors that have been here all season because we've seen that they've been a lot better and they've taken down, you know, way better opponents with ease this season. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's all really fair to say. I, you know, the, I think you said Rob that the team shot are just a hair under 35%, I think as a, as a team. And I was here last night watching the game, and I remember looking at the statistics. I think there was a there was a run towards the end of the game where Kyle Lowry scored like nine straight points to get the team back in it very late to get the team tied at 96 or maybe around 94. It, he, he was the kind of engine near the end of the game. And prior to that mini Kyle Lowry solo run, the Raptors, I think, were shooting under 30%. Like, they, it was an ugly, ugly shooting night. You said... They couldn't get the ball in the basket, and that was Lowry's message after the game. We just had some good looks. We were open. We couldn't get the bucket to go in the bottom bottom of the basket, the bottom of the well, as we like to hear from our own guys. But I just, I feel like it's just, like Mark said, it's hard to take too much from a game like this, right? Because it turns out when you have to start Rondé Hollis-Jefferson at the five and you have virtually no big men and Pascal's playing minutes at the five along with Rondé, it just, it turns out that's a bad thing, right? Especially against teams like that have players like Bismack and, you know, the, the a lot of the Charlotte Hornets guys hit huge shots down the stretch. And I think the Raptors did a great job of chasing guys off the perimeter and chasing guys around the court and having their defense execute very well. Like you said, they only still only scored 99 points. And, yeah. and I think th there was a part in that game where Graham and Bridges and some of these guys, they were just nailing deep contested threes. It felt at will at some, at some points, right? Like guys were getting in their faces and they were still dropping these threes in there. So, I mean, you, you kind of have to just live with that, right? At, at some point, 
you you can't really do much else about it. They played good defense and they still lose. I mean, sometimes you have an off night, and at the end of the day, it's there. It's only their I think 16th loss of the season. They're still in the driver's seat for the number two seed in the East. I think they're a game up on the Celtics. I want to say after last night's action, like all the NBA games last night. So all all things considered, yeah, not a great loss to lose to arguably one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the NBA. But at the same time, eh, you know, you like Mark said, you you live with it, you learn from it. And I think uh, I think after the game, Nurse said that all the players are traveling on this five-game uh, Western re- Western road trip that starts on Sunday against the Nuggets. I think Marcus Gasol is going. He'll probably actually see some game time. Uh, Fred Van Vliet's going. Serge Ibaka is going. So if that's the case, maybe they were just being a little cautious with some of these guys against one of the worst teams in the NBA. Yeah, and that, that is a good sign, of course, that uh, those guys are potentially on their way back as the uh, Raptors will uh, take on the Denver Nuggets tomorrow. Um, and, and that's a game, obviously, they're going to need some size, potentially. Uh, you've got uh, Nikola Jokic on uh, that side of the ball for the Nuggets. So uh, can't be throwing Rodney Hollis-Jefferson and no. uh, Chris Boucher out <laughs> at that. And you mentioned Bismack Biombo, and uh, he's been a name that's been thrown around that maybe could be a buyout candidate and, and would be a fit, Mark, because uh, he's, of course, a former Raptor. It was just one season, but one of the most entertaining Raptors seasons for a, a player, uh, you know, single-handedly just winning everyone over with his hustle and rebounding and block shots and what he was able to do in that, uh, you know, Eastern Conference final loss to the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, but still really um, showed people like what type of player he can potentially be and, and at times be a bit of a difference maker. Uh, he hasn't been able to replicate really that type of basketball since he left the Raptors with stops in, in Orlando and Charlotte. But, you know, if we're looking at buyout candidates and uh, perfectly healthy, he's not a guy that's going to get into the rotation. But, you know, after we saw a game like that last night where Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, Pascal Siakam, and Chris Boucher was the front court in some of these matchups where you have to face some big bigger um, players like if you know the Raptors get into a situation where they're playing the Sixers and Marcus Gasol and Serge Baca are banged up you're going to need some length and you're going to need some size against a guy like Joel Embiid and, and Ben Simmons and you know Bismack Biombo would seem to, to fit that bill no question and you know our guys on the Sportsnet broadcast yesterday uh, in the pregame alluded to it that if he is in fact bought out by the Hornets he's going to be a guy in in demand with a lot of teams chasing after him and the Raptors are certainly a team that could use him I mean you know, I'm not. I don't want to harp on Hollis Jefferson here because he was thrown into a bad situation. He had he's you know undersized. He had to play. Uh, he had to play at center all night. It seemed, but you like what? But you like the energy that a guy like him has brought all year. But it's a little concerning to me when he's asked to do a bit too much. Whether it's like posting up or then going up against other guys. Not to mention just the increased minutes that that you're putting on him as well. And I think that's where you get into trouble, where it's like you've got a good thing going, nobody's questioned the depth on this team, but when you're taxing guys and asking them to play out of their comfort zone, that's when I think it can be a bit of an issue. So if you can add somebody like Bismack Biombo, who, you know, on top of being in need positionally when your bigs are out, uh, you know, just knows the organization and has a familiarity here, I think it's, I think it's a great fit and... You know, I have to believe that Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster would be all over it if he is, in fact, bought out. Yeah, Bismack carries a cap hit of $17 million. So uh, just as much as Tony Romo, apparently, would this year. <laughs> but if he gets bought out, yeah, I mean, it, he definitely seems like a likely candidate also because the Hornets are just, they're not a team that's going to compete this year. And what they've been doing a lot this season has been just kind of throwing a lot of young guys into the fire and seeing what sticks, right? And if that's the case, and they're just really going to embrace this rebuild, 
Uh, Bismack, you know, he's already in the seemingly in the middle of a, his four-year deal. Seventeen million dollars is a lot. They probably could just axe the guy and get and, and probably even just roll out other people for development purposes. So if that's the case, it seems like it's pretty likely that it will happen at least maybe before the end of the regular season. So if it does, yeah, I'm sure there'll be a lot of suitors for his talents in the Eastern Conference and in the Western Conference as well. Of course, the whole NBA could use a guy like him. I, I wonder if, if, he, if he were to come to the Raptors, where would you slot him in? Like, would he be just, the, he would just be the third center, I yeah, guess, right? Be Behind the, Marcus All and, and Serge, I guess. Yeah, he's the in case of emergency break glass right, guy. Right. He's not someone I think you're throwing out there in, like in any six type minutes of, a night. Yeah, even right. even then, I think, you know, Serge Baca, Marcus All, those guys are eating up most of the minutes. And then depending on the matchups, you know, Ronnie Hulse, Jefferson, Chris Boucher are going to be out there. He's strictly just, if someone goes down or we need a human victory cigar, right. like uh, Bismack Biombo's going out there. But it's just good to have that safety valve in, in case, you know, one of the these guys gets banged up because Serge Ibaka, by all accounts, has been dealing with this knee thing for quite some time. Marcus Saul has been hurt twice already this year with a hamstring injury. So we know how finicky those things can be. So it'd just be nice to have a security blanket of, of a guy that, you know, has some size that can play down low, brings that defensive element, a guy that's familiar with this team. So, you know, there are advantages when it comes to that, that maybe he would choose this organization if he did get bought out. But as you guys pointed out too, that, you know, maybe there's some better destinations where he could get more court time and get a bigger opportunity. Um, so that, that would be interesting, but uh, still needs to be bought out before we can really, really have that discussion about uh, Bismack beyond book, but definitely an intriguing option that the Raptors could be looking at down the line. So we've seen, you know, guys like Pascal Siakam, uh, Norm Powell, OG Ananobi have flashes this year. I mean, Siakam was uh, an all-star. He's been a, a great player this season for um, this team, but I wonder if, you know, people are starting to, to think like, you know, how good can he actually be against some of the top teams? Because I want to go back to that Milwaukee game uh, earlier in the week where, hey, it's a tough matchup. Anybody that has to go up against Giannis in the box, it's it's always going to be difficult. Um, but some people have pointed out that Siakam in some of these bigger games these year, this year, ha he's not been the same player that we've seen against some of the other, you know, lesser likes of the NBA. And last night, he struggled shooting from the field, as did uh, a lot of people. But I think that's just part of his evolution right now that, you know, he's the number one option for the first time in his career. He's still trying to figure out how to get it done. We, we talked about DeMar DeRozan for many, many years about how, man, this guy is the number one option, can't get it done. And then he started to evolve over time, started to see the double teams a lot better, pass out of them, understand where, you know, he can uh, go on the floor to, to make sure that he doesn't get himself into trouble. And it, it still seems like Pascal Siakam, Mark, is, is trying to figure that out. And it's a year of growth. So I know when people see a game like he had against Milwaukee and even the one earlier this year, and it's like, man, Pascal Siakam really struggling against these top teams. I, I kind of have to step back and say, well, he's still trying to figure this out. Like this is the, the first time he's been that true number one option and, and it's going to take some time. No, I think that's totally fair. I mean, there's there's playing in the NBA and then there's playing in the NBA as, as the alpha on your team and you're just going to get more attention from, from opposing defenses. And I think that's natural. And I think that's why, you know, it goes back to that point of just having guys play in their proper positions and play their proper minutes because you know you can't just throw it all on on a young forward like pascal is and as as talented as he is and that's why it's important to just why a guy like bismack would be nice because it's like just you're able to ease serge Ibaka back in you're able to ease marcus Hull back in you're able to just have everybody playing their proper minutes and and in their proper roles and that goes with and that is just gonna make Siakam feel more comfortable just knowing that he's got all this balance around him in the lineup. Yeah, I feel like with Pascal, 
he's still learning as definitely as the alpha because he did this last season for sure. But it certainly seems as though in the in the loss against the Bucks and in last night's loss to the Hornets, he he's still trying to learn how to use his length and his speed to get to the basket really quickly. Like he has this he has this first step. And he's so long. He's such a long guy. So when, when he takes that first step, it almost seems like he gets halfway to the basket already. And it it, re- it was really funny to watch last night because he played 39 minutes. He was 9 of 23, ended up with 24 points. And a lot of those misses uh, from the field came really early on in the game where he was settling for, for shots from the perimeter and in the mid-range. And he, he, he can make those shots, no doubt about it. But, you know, against a team like the Hornets, for example... Once he finally started to use, it was like some, I'm, I'm sure they said something to him at halftime because after they came out of the break at halftime, he started doing that more. He's starting to rush to the basket. He started getting to the rim. And yeah, there were a lot of misses at the at point blank range because, you you know, finger roll and just bounces off the back of the backboard or what have you. But when he starts to do that more, the Raptors are better for it. And I think, I think he has to utilize that sometimes a little bit more it felt like against the bucks he was trying to do a little too much and you know over dribbling and he would he had a, a number of turnovers i think he had four turnovers against the bucks so once you can corral the turnovers a little bit and maybe make a little more make a little more smart decisions let's say when it comes to passing the ball because if there's one thing you know we, we talk about number one options if there's one thing that Giannis Antetokounmpo has improved on over, I would say, even just from last year to this year, it's been his it's been his passing, right? He has made some absolutely phenomenal passes to guys like coming on the baseline under, underneath the bucket and so on. And I think if Pascal can improve his passing in the same fashion, like if that's something he works on, in addition to other things like the free throws and so on, but if, if the passing is one thing he focuses on, I think next year or even by the time the playoffs come around, that'll be a very underrated aspect of his game. But because it's not right now, it definitely feels like that's something the other teams can kind of hone in on and take advantage of. But I think he makes up for it when it comes to his defense. Again, he's very long. We saw we saw a lot of the great plays he made on defense against the, the, those game against the Pacers, a number of them, and other teams as well. So I I think the sky is the limit, honestly, for Pascal. But he he still it still feels like what a couple of steps away from putting it all together. Yeah. Well, the biggest test will be in the playoffs, of course, sure, yeah. where you know possessions are going to be limited, and um, he's going to be you know, keyed on quite a bit by the opposing team. They're going to try to take him out of the game and and force some of these other players on the Raptors to uh, try to get things done. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. But it's, it's been an incredible season for Pascal Siakam. I just think people need to realize like it's a season of growth too. This guy's still trying to figure things out. It's been a meteoric rise over the last couple of seasons, but um, there, there's still a lot of learning to do for a guy like him getting a a text from Kevin in poor credit says, uh, could you imagine the Raptors face the Sixers or Bucks and we go big with Serge Mark and biz that would be nuts uh that would be wild uh does that mean pascal siakam is your shooting guard at that point uh, i think that's a little too much those size. four and lowry yeah those four <laughs> and lowry that's a little too much size for me i think in a matchup against some of those teams but uh it's it's at least interesting i guess from the standpoint of what would happen probably a lot of bad things with uh, all three of those guys on the lineup together uh, but you no know, we're talking about bismack biombo as just uh, an emergency guy as a third big we're, we're not thinking of him as a rotation piece if he comes back to Toronto um, he would get minutes you know occasionally here in blowouts or you know if there's some big time foul trouble but Serge Ibaka Marcus those are your guys that you're riding with for 30 
plus minutes a night, especially come the playoffs. You've got Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, who has fit a role here, has found a role here. You've got Pascal. You've got OG that can play some four. So um, they are set uh, when it comes to their big rotation when they are healthy. But as we saw last night, when they're not healthy and they don't have Serge and Marcus All, it would have been nice to have a guy like Bismack Biombo. But in that scenario, He's not going up against Bismack Biombo because he is Bismack Biombo. So he'd be going up against like uh, Hernan Gomez right. uh, on the other side of things. You can't play yourself, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, Bismack Biombo, we'd all love to see him back here. He's a fan favorite, and uh, it would be a pretty cool story. The Raptors back at it tomorrow. They'll uh, take on the Denver Nuggets as they'll begin that Western road trip. When we continue on the Sportsnet Hot Stove, we'll talk about the Blue Jays. They're back at it this afternoon facing off against the Phillies. We'll have that game here on the Sportsnet Radio Network at 1 o'clock, beginning with the pregame at 12.30. Our early impressions so far of the spring, that and more still to come. It is the Sportsnet Hot Stove, Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, and Show Ali. It's the Sportsnet Radio Network. This ain't like when you're at a game and sign up for a credit card just to get the prize and then you immediately cancel the credit card. Because there's no prize when you sign up for our radio shows at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. Sportsnet 590, the fan on demand. Sportsnet 590. 590, the fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all my. Come on, come on, come on. So we're living it up, uh. To everybody that we living it up, we say. So uh, Sportsnet Hot Stove here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob Wong, Show Ali, Mark Boffo with you. Blue Jays back at it this afternoon. They'll take on the Philadelphia Phillies in Grapefruit League action. Chun Yamaguchi makes his second start of the spring as a Zach Wheeler, who the Blue Jays had some interest in this offseason, will make his Phillies debut. And uh, we'll have that game coming up at 1 o'clock on the Sportsnet Radio Network, 12.30 pregame. And uh, so far, guys, the uh, big stories coming out of spring training have been, uh, one, the new players that have shown up. We saw Hyunjin Ryu make his uh, Blue Jays debut earlier this week against the Minnesota Twins. A bit of a mixed bag, but it's spring training. You can't take too much uh, when it comes to the stats, especially for the veteran guys that have their uh, spot cemented on this team. We also found out that uh, Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio will be 1-2 in this Blue Jays lineup to begin the season. We might even see Kevin Biggio get some time in center field. And uh, one guy that's uh, definitely showed up recently, Teoscar Hernandez, who uh, continues to swing the bat well, had a great second half of the season last year. And I'm expecting some big things from Teoscar this year. I think he could potentially take a step. He'll begin in uh, right field to start this season as Randall Gritchick will be the uh, starting center fielder on opening day. But uh, those, to me, guys, some of the biggest takeaways so far, uh, just from what we've uh, seen, of course, from people covering uh, spring training so far, people here at Sportsnet, some of the games that have been televised, some of the games we've heard on the radio, that, that's what's really uh, stood out to me so far. Anything uh, jump off the page to you, show? Yeah, I feel like Teoscar is definitely one of the bigger question marks for me. I think I, I think I'm expecting him to be a lot better this year. I just I just wonder, his, his bat is not... What super really concerns me, it's it's more his play in the outfield. And I just, 
I wonder where you guys are at on that. Like, I think, are, are you comfortable with Teoscar in right field? Or I mean, cause it feels like That's fine. It, it might not be, he might not be long for that spot, let's say. Yeah, well, I think in a perfect world, he's your DH. Right. But the Blue Jays clearly want that position to be fluid, and they want to be able to rotate guys in and out. I'm sure we'll see Teoscar spend a bunch of time at DH this year, but right. I think he's fine in right field. Yeah. I mean, you got to play him somewhere. So he's going to be out there. And there were moments last year in center field. He made some great plays. And you're like, wow, maybe there's something in there. He's never going to be a gold glover by any means. But I think for him, it's it's going to be the bat that carries him this season. And uh, I think there's, you know, something in there that uh, is yet to be untapped. And we saw it in the second half of last season. If he can replicate that, that's a pretty valuable player for this team. Well, I mean, I think you can definitely improve on him for sure. But... I'm also not going to hang the hat of the Blue Jays' 2020 season on Hernandez's defense in the outfield. Like, he's, you know, we're talking about growing pains with different players. He's a guy where he, his bat is clearly, a, you know, better than his his glove right now. And that's just the case with a lot of guys on this Jays team. Like, there, there's a lot of talent out there, a lot of up-and-coming talent. But, uh, you know, these guys are still pretty raw. So we have to see, you know what exactly happens here. I'm excited for Guriel. I think Guriel could, you know, kind of build off of uh, his season last year. Yeah, so he, he, I think he, he ended the season uh, with an injury, I think, right? But I think prior to that, he was on fire, I felt yeah. like. It was like, it was really exciting to watch him play. He was just, he was all over the place, it seemed. He was good at the plate, too. Like, I just, I, it was really exciting to watch him. I, I feel like we haven't gotten to see too much out of, Lourdes so far in spring training, but also I, I don't know how much stock I put into spring training, you know, a lot of the time because these guys play so little, but at the same time, it's, it's, it is exciting to watch. You'd mentioned Kevin Biggio and Bo Bichette as the, or, or flip that around as the, as the one, two in the, uh, in the batting order, which I'm also really excited to see. I mean, Bo was absolutely, I think my favorite part of last season, especially I think after Rob, that, you know, Vladdy came up, and it, I feel like it felt like his 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 uh, call up was a little underwhelming ultimately. And then you add into that that Bo came up, and then his call up seemed to just pay dividends for the Blue Jays essentially immediately, right? Because the Bo, Bo was going after it. It felt like the first pitch on every single game, and he was just lacing a double right into the outfield. So. If, if if that's what if he can build on that, we're talking about players building on things. Then I think that'll be a really exciting season. I almost feel like Bo Bichette and not Vladimir Guerrero Jr. might be the uh, the the maybe maybe breakout stars is too big a word, but it will be will be that for the Blue Jays this season. You just want to see some growth from those guys for sure. And if they could replicate Bo Bichette, could replicate what he did last year, that'd be great. You don't want to see Vladdy necessarily replicate what he <laughs> no. did last year. You want to see. <laughs> Him take a step, and uh, I know there's a nice piece up right now on uh, sportsnet.ca written by Arden Zwelling about Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s offseason, his awesome offseason, losing 15 to 20 pounds and some of the defensive work that he did this year. But, you know, very much like Teoscar Hernandez, I think for me the calling card is going to be the bat. And it's, you know, great if Vladdy's working on his defense. that You want to see him do that. You want to see him get in better shape. But if he's not going to hit like he did down in the minor leagues, like, well, what are we doing here? Like, that's what yeah. his... He was uh, his calling card, and that's what he, we all expected from him, to be the type of guy whose bat could be, you know, a perennial all-star, maybe an MVP-type uh, bat. So I think uh, that's going to really be um, the story for me this season. Uh, the defense, it's going to be nice. Going to watch it, see how it improves. If it doesn't improve, but if he doesn't hit, then, you know, this year especially, you know, you're never going to write a guy off in his second year, but I think maybe people start having some questions like, okay, well, what's going on here now? Like, this is a guy two years in a row now that has, you know, not, you know, 
necessarily been a bust, but like he's disappointed compared to where the expectations were um, as the top prospect in all of Major League Baseball, not just in the Blue Jays organization, but uh, every publication had this guy at uh, number one just a couple of years ago. Speaking about top prospects, Nate Pearson made his uh, Blue Jays spring training debut earlier this week as well and uh, just was an absolute beast, striking out the side in his uh, debut, one-inning pitch, three strikeouts against the New York Yankees. Now, it wasn't murderer's row by any means, but it was still three guys that have had uh, major league experience before. And by all accounts, you know, Nate Pearson is a guy that is just so invested in his craft. You know, he's all about the numbers, all about, uh, you know, the track man and all the different, you know, stats that go into it and, you know, uh, spin rate and what have you. I mean, you name it, this guy's into it and he just takes it very, very seriously. We know he's, we're not going to see him at the beginning of the season. He's going to start the year down in AAA and get a little bit more seasoning before he gets called up. The service time stuff, of course, is a factor as well, but, you know, not Sure, it's going to be on the level necessarily of what we saw last year with Vlad and Bo Bichette. But uh, when Nate Pearson arrives, Mark, to uh, Toronto this coming season, it's uh, going to be electric. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this guy just repeatedly throw 100 miles an hour. We haven't seen that here in Toronto from a starting pitcher in, in quite some time. No, you know what? We haven't, and it's... Maybe ever. No, I, yeah, I'm... I guess Roger Clemens, but I, I was not a say, homegrown so, guy. The yeah. Rocket, but, like, you know, he wasn't a homegrown commodity or anything like that. Like, you get really jacked up to see you know, guys that you've drafted and developed and, you know, we saw it last year with Guerrero and Bichette and now you're seeing it with somebody on the mound. And that was my biggest takeaway, Rob, too, is just not so much the performance in, in spring training, but in, in that start, but just after the game, he just seemed so like intense. Like he was like, he'd already had like five major league seasons under his belt. He just seems like a kid that want, wants to be great and is willing to put in the work to, to, you know, take the next steps into becoming a great pitcher. Uh, I think he, I mean, we'll definitely see him up this year. I got to, I got to think uh, once, uh, you know, he gets enough innings under his belt in triple A and uh, I'll, I'll be right there at the Rogers center when he makes his debut, because like you said, like, I don't think we've seen a prospect with this kind of a prospect pitcher with this kind of power, you know, ever with the, with the Jays. Yeah. That's a good point. Actually. I, th I feel like I might, uh, I might take advantage when, when, when it's announced, like when Mike Wilner or Ben Wagner, or whoever announces that uh, shy or someone like that announces that, you know, date X is when Nate Pearson is coming up. I might take advantage of our uh, Rogers discount and buy, buy some <laughs> tickets to, to go down to the uh, ballpark. Cause I would love to see his debut. I feel like the atmosphere down at the Rogers center will be absolutely electric. I think I was chatting with Ben uh, a couple of weeks ago and he was saying, or a couple of days ago, I, I guess really time has no meaning for me, but uh uh, ben was saying that he thinks uh, Nate won't come up until around the All Star break. Oh, so if that so if that's the case, then we probably won't see him until midsummer, right? But I mean, I guess that's also an ideal point. You'll see what we what you have in the rotation at that point. Nate Pearson, if he comes up, will probably won't like he probably won't be coming up if let's say Trent Thornton gets the fifth spot. If Trent Thornton gets injured. And they have to go to Sean Yamaguchi. They're not going to bring up Nate Pearson for like a, a spot start or something like yeah. that, right? You were talking about the service time and all that stuff. So if that's the case, then I, I'm not surprised we're not going to see him for a long time. But yeah, that's definitely Ben's feel from what he's spoken to people around the club and people inside the clubhouse and stuff is the feeling that he won't be coming up around ish around the all-star break. Well, I think it's pretty similar to what we saw last year with Vlad and Bo. It's like, once these guys get called up, they're here to stay. You don't want to call these guys up and keep yo-yoing them up and right, down right. from the uh, minors to the big leagues, unless, you know, there's a reason to, I mean, we saw Lourdes Coriel Jr. have to go back to the minors last year to work on uh, his defense playing in the outfield. Uh, but these guys, when they arrive, the top prospects, they're here to stay. And you want to make sure that uh, that 
is uh, the last time that they see of the minors outside of maybe some, you know, rehab stints uh, here and there. But uh, Nate Pearson going to be the one, you know, pitching prospect, the one top prospect that everyone will be excited to watch this coming season. Today, though, it's uh, old crafty veteran Shun Yamaguchi getting the start for the Blue Jays as they take on the Phillies. We'll have that game coming up at 1 o'clock, and uh, the pregame show begins at 12 30. Final segment of the Sportsnet Hot Stove still to come. We'll chat about Sidney Crosby, who uh, yesterday, 10 years ago, scored a pretty important goal to uh, give Canada a, col- a gold medal at the uh, Vancouver Games. And we'll also talk about what the rosters may look like right now if Canada and USA were set to square off in yet another gold medal match. That's to come on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Show Ali, Mark Boffo on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Subscribe to our radio shows at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. Do not settle. Demand. Demand. Sportsnet 590 The Fan on demand. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Sportsnet Hot Stove, Sportsnet Radio Network, Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, Show Alley with you. Final segment of the program. In case you didn't know, yesterday was the 10-year anniversary of Sidney Crosby's golden goal at the Vancouver Olympics, helping Team Canada win that game in overtime against Team USA, one of those uh, unforgettable moments in Canadian sports history. And uh, I think it's tonight... They're going to do uh, Elliot Friedman in conversation yes. with Sidney Crosby. That's the They're going to uh, reminisce about that moment 10 years ago uh, yesterday. Do you guys remember where you were when Sidney Crosby mm. scored that goal show? I do, yeah. So I was in university at the time in 2010. Uh, I went to I went to U of T, and there was a, it was a student pub on campus called The Cat's Eye, okay. named for Margaret Atwood's book, The Cat's Eye. And... Yeah, we were in the we were in the student pub, and I remember right after uh, Team USA scored that goal to make it two two, like right near the end of regulation. I remember in the third period. I remember the so we were watching it on a projector, and the projector was onto a big screen, and the projector overheated, and uh, the bulb the bulb overheated or something, and and the, it, it was in that kind of in the in the five minutes or whatever between regulation and overtime. And I remember the whole bar just completely emptied, oh, and my friend was the manager of the bar. So I stayed behind to help him fix it. And, like, literally as the last person walked out of the bar, as overtime was starting, the bulb, like, cooled down, and we just turned it back on, and, oh, and, it, was, and it was fine. So we, it was great. So we ended up getting prime seats for uh, Sidney Crosby's golden goal. I, I, really all I remember out of the celebration is that uh, my friend, he just picked me up, physically picked me up and carried me out of the bar, and we just ran into the streets uh, down, <laughs> down Young Street, and uh, that was pretty fun. Mark, what about you? I remember exactly where I was. I was watching it with like 10 to 15 people at uh, my friend's apartment downtown. And uh, I was actually thinking about this yesterday with it being the anniversary. And I actually remembered that when they went into overtime, this was like in the earlier days of Twitter. Like I think I had just gotten it earlier in the year or whatever. I tweeted that I thought Crosby would score in overtime because I was just like, you know, this is his moment. Like they tied it up. If it's ever going to be Canada's best player, like he's got to be the one to do it. So, you know, I wouldn't say that was my prediction. I wouldn't say I like 
you know, I guess it came true. I'm not trying to <laughs> show me your, the receipts. That should but, be your pinned tweets. Yeah, honestly, on, uh, Twitter. I don't think pinned tweets were available back then, but I'm gonna have to do some scrolling because yeah, I, I I remember that, and I honestly like I remember just I think we all just poured onto the street after. I can't remember exactly like. We all remember the goal, but I can't even remember what happened when the goal was actually scored. I think everybody yeah. just kind of, it was just pandemonium, right? Yeah. So Yeah, I was at a friend's house up in Barrie, a bunch of friends from high school. We were watching the game, and I just remember when Zach Parise scored that game-tying goal, I was like, not like this. Like, this, this can't <laughs> happen. Like, Team USA is going to win in Vancouver, in Canada, in the best Olympics like I can ever remember. Like, this can't happen. And then Crosby scores the goal. We go crazy. And uh, I, at that point, was so mentally drained. It was because the game was in the afternoon, right? It was like early afternoon. It was the final thing of the Vancouver Olympics. There was nothing else on after that. So, like, the goal happened. We celebrated. And then I was like, okay, I'm going home. Like, this is it. I just so mentally drained from this, (laughs) emotionally drained. I just remember driving home and being like, I can't believe that actually happened. Like, this is wild that the like Canada won in overtime. Cindy Crosby's the one to score that goal. And you're just thinking, like, man, the the alternative to this would have been just an absolute disaster. I guess it's how can or how the team USA felt in 2002 when they lost in Salt Lake City to right. Team Canada. It's like this is our Olympics, home ice, and we lose to Canada in the gold medal game. Like that's that's gross, and that's like their first gold medal in 50 years. Like that's that's not uh, the ideal situation, but. Uh, Lucky for us, uh, we're on the right side of history there with uh, Sidney Crosby and Team Canada winning that gold medal game 10 years ago yesterday. So there is a uh, piece up right now on uh, sportsnet.ca about uh, what these two teams might look like today if they were to uh, square off again in a gold medal game. And uh, we'll see if uh, the NHL goes to China in a couple of years uh, with the games there, or at least the next Olympics, uh, depending on what happens, of course, with uh, all the things we're dealing with right now in uh, the world. But... It's pretty evident that uh, Canada would have another loaded roster and uh, maybe in a couple of years' time there's going to be some players that jump up that uh, maybe we're not expecting, but we have to take a look at these rosters with uh, the information that we currently have. And uh, on this piece on sportsnet.ca, these are the forwards for Team Canada. Marshawn Crosby, Bergeron, Hall, McDavid, McKinnon, Barzal, Tavares, Marner, Stamco, Shifley, Stone, and the defense goes as follows. Giordano, Latang. Riley Doughty, Burns McCarr, and the goalies are Carey Price and Marc-Andre Fleury. The extras are Jonathan Taves, Shea Weber, and uh, Braden Holpe. We'll begin with the forward core, guys, and uh, this is where the toughest uh, decisions come because uh, I think I look at that roster right now, and maybe a few guys, I look at maybe Mitch Marner, and nothing against Mitch Marner, but I think maybe there's some guys that are better suited for um, specific roles on this team. But outside of that, it's it's you're just really nitpicking, I think, when you look at that forward roster, because that's about as good as you possibly could construct. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think I think maybe I, I know the the sports sportsnet.ca said maybe you'd uh, maybe you put someone like Chris Kunitz in there or something like that. And we 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 oh God no right. And I and I think that's a kind of a an allusion to the last Olympics when you saw some less skilled players get put in in favor of people like Mitch Marner. But I, I think you're right. I think in in, in today's hockey. And I think the the Olympic rinks are bigger, right? Like I think they they're slightly. I think the ice is slightly bigger. I, yeah, I believe. Yeah, depends where you play. I, yeah, like, I suppose if it's they do the hybrid true. rink or right. it's an international ice, but yeah, but you yeah, want so to have speed. You yeah, exactly. And you want you want the most skilled players on the ice. I I like this team. I really do. I think the the top line is I think the the most of the no brainer ones, right? Because we were talking about this in the break, and I was I was trying to think to myself like, was this not the the top line at the the one they when Team Canada won the Olympic gold against. Uh, team Sweden in 2014, but I think 
But then you guys reminded me correctly that this was the line that was put out by Team Canada in the World Cup of Hockey in 2016. And they were great, right? I mean, this is, I can't imagine a different top line, even with Connor McDavid on the same roster. I mean, if Connor McDavid is your second line center, that's that's pretty good already. Yeah, I think you can like nitpick a bit and maybe say Barzal is a little bit of a random name, but I think he's, you clearly saw the guy's got speed to burn and with, uh, with what could be a bigger ice surface, you know, I think he would be a guy that would actually fit in. There's never, there's never a perfect lineup. I think everybody can always kind of sub in and out their own players. They have uh, on .ca here, Taves as the extra forward and, and Shea Weber as the extra defenseman. I think you can maybe make a case for putting both those guys on the actual roster and not as the extras. I mean, yeah, Jonathan Taves, the last few seasons has been not the Jonathan Taves we've been accustomed to seeing, but I think with he's just one of those guys that always shows up internationally for Canada, and you can't have too much experience there, especially when there's a bit of a turnover in the roster. Like, you're subbing out guys like Corey Perry and... Uh, Ryan Getzlaff and guys of that ilk for the McDavid's and McKinnon's of the world. So I think it could be advantageous to have uh, another veteran there and in, in, in Taves. And but the defense I'm liking as well: Jordano, Latang, Riley, Doughty, Burns, Makar. Uh, we were talking a bit about it before the show. Uh, I don't know how Alex Petrangelo's yeah, left off. Right? I like I'm with you, show. I don't know how he just come. Just coming off winning the cup, he was there for you in Sochi. Um, again, but that's the question. A lot of leadership, who, who right? Do you, who do you take out, right? Morgan Riley. I'm taking out Morgan Riley. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think it's fair. Like I think that's I think that's that's the one guy on the defensive core that that stands out to me. Morgan Riley, he's great, and I think you know maybe he could go as an extra. But I think there's some other defensemen. I, I think I'd rather have at this stage. Even you know Drew Doughty and everything that he brings, I might slot him out if we're trying to keep the right left. You know, combinations going. Maybe I would slot in an Alex Petrangelo at this point. The biggest bugaboo I actually have with this roster, uh, it's the goaltending because okay. I look at it and I say, Carey Price, Mark Andre Fleury, Braden Holpe. I get it. Those guys have been there and done that. I mean, some of these guys are, are Stanley Cup champions, of course, in, in Fleury and uh, Holpe. But maybe you can make the case too that the goalies don't matter because the team in front of them is so good, like we saw in uh, the last Olympics when the NHL went that. You know, uh, the goalies never really had to face any sort of dangerous shots. And uh, the guys in front of them, Mike Babcock, just ground it to a halt. And it was terrible hockey to watch. But Canada won a gold medal, and that's all that matters. Um, But I look at guys like Jordan Bennington. I look at guys like Carter Hart. And I'm like, why aren't these guys in the conversation? Like Jordan Bennington, I think you can make the case right now. He's the best Canadian goaltender in the NHL. Like this guy's been phenomenal now. He's got a Stanley Cup championship, if that's something you care about. Um, And the next time Canada goes to the Olympics... Uh, Carey Price, Marc-Andre Fleury, and Braden Holpe are going to be well into their 30s. So I'm not sure those are the guys you want to be looking at. So even at this stage where those guys are still, you know, somewhat in their prime, I think there are other options I would rather have uh, in net. And Jordan Bennington would be right at the top. I, of the I think, yeah, I think I'd probably go Bennington over Carey Price right now just because it's been a pretty... It's been a pretty up and down season for Price over in Montreal. No, I get it. Like you said, it maybe doesn't really matter if you have players like Kale McCarr, yeah, David Burns, Ayers and, could start yeah. in goal yeah. for this Canadian team, <laughs> and I'd feel good about and it. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I think I'm not. Su- I wouldn't be super concerned about the goaltending. I mean, ultimately, Canada has. I think I, I still do truly think that Canada would of any team in the tournament, not just going up against Team USA, but against 
player, teams like Team Finland and Russia and Sweden, I still feel like the blue line and the goaltending is probably the best combo from top to bottom than any other country out there. And I, that's been the case for many years, and I think that's probably going to be the case. Like either because this this list was was I think the the whole catch was that this is what it would be like today, right? Yeah. But whether it was today or in two years, I think Canada is 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 well poised. And yeah, I, I, I like that. I think also uh, honorable mention, Jonathan Uberdo. I think he could yeah. be uh, on a That's forward as well, right? I mean, he's been fantastic for, for, uh, for a number of years now. And I think I, I would slot him in there maybe even over a couple of guys as well. Uh, just quickly to wrap up the show, uh, final thoughts. A nightmare scenario for uh, Toronto Maple Leafs fans, Austin Matthews scoring the game-winning goal Ooh. in the gold medal game Ooh. against Team Canada. <laughs> be uh, very tough to come to grips with uh, what you would see in a situation like that. But uh, Canada, USA, next time at the Olympics feels like it's going to be a lot of fun, especially with the amount of youth on the uh, American side of things. But uh, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, thanks for tuning in for another edition of the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Thanks to Show Ali and Mark Boffo. Coming up, we'll switch over to Sportsnet today as we'll uh, take you to the Blue Jays pregame show. We'll do the 411 and get you caught up on all the things that you need to know on this Saturday. This has been the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Show Ali, Mark Boffo here on the Sportsnet Radio Network.